0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of The Snyder Cut. I am your sleep deprived host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. And, yeah, we've got a busy show this week. There was a lot of stuff happening. I got a lot of mailbag uh, questions to get into. But I think we got to start with RBG. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, you know, passed on, I think it was Friday night. I was biking with my dad. And I think his girlfriend texted him and, and uh so like my phone like just had just died. I couldn't even check my email for like an alert or Twitter or anything. So I had to like rush. I like sped home just to see if it was true. And it was, and it was so heartbreaking just because obviously this is larger than just, you know, the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's the Supreme court that hangs in the balance. It's you know something that could have ramifications, not just for years, but decades to come. And yeah, just a huge loss. Like, she was one of us, right? She was, she was Jewish. My, uh, I actually have Ginsburg relatives and, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish, obviously, I think everybody wishes she could have just hung on a few more months, but she fought the, a good fight as long as she could fight it. And now it's sort of on us to, to, you know, carry her legacy, to, to continue that fight and follow in her footsteps. Uh, so hopefully come November, we we change some things about this country because, man, it is just crazy out there, really. Like yesterday, I was feeling some despair, I, like actual despair, just like look at everything, look outside the window, look at the news. And then if it sort of felt compounded, you know, by the the Variety Hot Reporter deadline stuff, which we'll we'll get into shortly. But um, RBG, obviously, it's just a huge loss, not just for america but the entire world i mean the things that she did you know fighting for for women's rights i mean i'm a big believer supporter in women's reproductive rights uh, the things that she did there and um so anyways if you haven't seen the documentary rbg if you haven't seen uh, on the basis of sex with felicity jones those are definitely worth checking out you know show, show them to your daughter or or son you know if, if, if they're old enough if you've got kids and they're old enough to to watch that kind of stuff i think if there's actually another uh, secret documentary i don't know how secret it is i think it's a, a rough draft of it uh, screened at uh maybe afi docs last year but it's called ruth and that is yet another i'm sure we'll get a lot of rbg stuff coming up maybe not you know a narrative scripted film which we just had I think it's amazing that she was able to participate in that and, and, and see her life story up there on the screen. But I'm sure that there will be plenty of, of documentaries and uh, things like that now that there is a, a end to, to the story. We lost a few uh, people this week, actually. Michael Chapman, the cinematographer on Raging Bull and Taxi Driver. I mean look at how Raging Bull is shot. It feels like you are in the ring with Jake LaMotta. That, he, he's um, incredible. Ron Cobb, the concept artist, worked on Star Wars, Alien, Back to the Future. So, you know, these, these are sort of titans in their respective fields. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, another actor, he didn't pass, but uh, Michael Hogan, who's on Battlestar Galactica, who's managed by my friend Brandon Bissig. And, and you know, so Brandon had... had he, he had never told me anything about Michael. Like he, if a client of his is telling him something that they want under wraps, like I, I don't hear about it. And, and I didn't hear about this until it was either on Twitter or on EW or something. And I, and I texted him. I was like, Oh my God, is this true? And he's like, yeah, it happened a while ago. They didn't really want to tell anybody it's, it was terrible. Um, but you know, so, so Brandon had told me about Michael over, over the course of his career. I mean, I'd followed Michael Hogan's career, even though I hadn't, uh, really watch Battle Star Galactica. That stuff's not for me. And, and when I heard what happened to Michael, he he had fallen during dinner and hit his head. And it was just clear he was never going to be the same. Like he went to bed that night. There was some internal bleeding had a brain bleed and he just didn't realize it. And so he didn't get uh, treated soon enough and, and it resulted in paralysis. He couldn't swallow. And so he, he's going to um he's got a long, hard road to recovery. And, and so there's a go fund me. And I wrote it up for Collider, uh, just a really, really sad story. So if you are able to donate, uh, check out that GoFundMe, you know, just Google Michael Hogan Collider, the article will pop up with the link to donate. And, uh, and I hope that he gets well soon. Um, you know, I, again, I don't know that we'll ever see him act again, but it, it's not about that. It's about him, you know, li- living a, a full life or, or a comfortable life g- given, you know, his circumstances. Um, yeah, just really really sad and tragic and it really just makes you want to save her. You got to save her every day, guys, cuz you don't know when when you're running out of time. Um all right, uh, you know, moving aside from the the tough stuff this week. What what else do we got? Where do we want to start? take a look at the list here. Let's start with all the delays. Cuz that you know, it, it kind of continues the 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 death theme the tragedy theme from the beginning of this podcast movie going for the rest of the year is pretty much done i don't know if we're going to see james bond i don't know if we're going to see these movies that move to december like uh, death death on the nile it just doesn't no one no one wants to go to the movies like i want to go to the movies more than anybody but i'm still not going to see new mutants It's it's I feel for theaters and I feel for studios who who want to make money and and get these you know movies out there, even if it's not setting the movie up for success. At least it's keeping money coming in. I mean, I think you saw Disney like um, dated the the Empty Man for October like that. That's they're giving that the New Mutants treatment. They're just sort of tossing that off and, and burning it because they probably contractually owe it a theatrical release now. You know, it's getting a theatrical release, and it's going to be available in, I don't know, 70, 80% of theaters, whatever percentage of theaters are open, but it's not not quite the same thing. Anyways, the big moves were Black Widow, which is moving to next, uh, I think next May, I want to say. Eternals got moved, Shang-Chi got moved, everything, everything, you know, there, there was a domino effect Uh, And I believe that Eternals and and Shang-Chi shuffled like positions on the calendar, you know, with Marvel, the movies have to sort of, they line up one right after the the other. Apparently in that case, it it doesn't necessarily matter, but yeah, I think Shang-Chi is getting the big July slot. Right. And then West side story got delayed a full year. Now that was a little bit more interesting to me because it was supposed to be one of the big awards contenders this year. Now it's going to compete in next year's cycle, I I think, yeah, I don't think Steven was messing around. He's just like, yeah, if if I can't get a full theatrical rollout, what are we doing this for? You know, why are we rushing the editor or, you know, whatever is going on? Plus you've got the Ansel Elbert stuff, which is very tricky. I mean, just because you wait a year till next year doesn't mean that stuff's just going to go away, but it definitely gives it some space, you know, gives his – team some time to craft a response or you know whatever it is i think that that time will benefit the you know the the positioning but at the end of the what, what if they just end up reshooting this thing I mean, got rid of ansel elgort that, that would be wild I, I don't i haven't heard anything to that effect and i don't think that that's going to happen but uh the the ansel thing is is a real concern and i, and I do think that this delay helps it to an extent you know, I, nothing really helps allegations like those, right? I have it. I have it now in front of me. Definitely on, on the Nile move from October to December. Uh, the inverse for the Empty Mans. Sorry, Black Widow from November to next May. Eternals from February to November. That's a nine month delay. And then Shang Chi, which was supposed to open three months after uh, Eternals, right in May, moved back to July. So that's coming in July. Eternals is now November. So they did switch positions. Uh, Ben Affleck next year is going to be the year of the fleck. Okay. You've got justice league. The four part, uh, mini series is supposed to come out. We'll be talking about justice league in a bit. Believe me. Uh, the last duel was supposed to come out at the end of this year for a January wide release. That's now totally moved. And then deep water, which is oddly enough, the one that I'm kind of most looking forward to. That's the erotic thriller with Ana de Armas that moved from this November to next August. So it's just not a good the forecast is not good for theaters. And again, it's like I said, it sucks that they opened Tenant when they did because now theaters are opening and they're they have no product and they're just praying that that James Bond sticks to its guns and I, I just uh, with Warner Brothers and Tenant you can afford not a I mean no one I'm not saying anybody can afford a flop but like you know Chris Nolan wanted to be the guy to resurrect theaters and, and, and that's what he did if you're MGM and Bond I just don't think you can put this movie out you need a hit you cannot release it into a theatrical environment where it's going to make 30 percent you know domestic uh, of what it would normally make so again I, I would just would not be surprised uh, to see Bond move maybe to next summer because I think that's really what we're, what we're looking at in terms of a, of a vaccine, guys. And I think it is going to take a vaccine to get people to return to theaters. And I think once they once that vaccine is out there, the movie theater will be the first place i go. But, you know, at first they were, oh, could we could get a vaccine by December. And then it's, you know, we could get a vaccine by April. And, and I think June, July next year is just a lot more uh, likely. And I don't have, you know, what, what do I know about the timetable? I just just common sense. Plus you want them to to actually test these things. I wouldn't want to be the the guinea pig, the first person to get the vaccine and then have all kinds of side effects and stuff. Uh, West Side Story, right. That was a full year delay from December to to December and then the Kingsman just moved up two two weeks, whatever. Um, So that was it for the delays. What else do we got? Well, I guess we could stick with Marvel since we're talking so much about Black Widow and Eternals and and Shang-Chi. Um, we saw first trailer for WandaVision. I thought it was a little underwhelming. That's just not, I mean, I I applaud Marvel for taking a big swing like that and for doing something uh, different. I just don't know that it's what I would have led with. And I know that they weren't necessarily planning to lead with that. They wanted to lead with Falcon and Winter Soldier. And and that is the the first foot forward I I, I would put. Um, Yeah, it just, there was something... I mean, I, I, I don't really love the characters that much of Scarlet Witch, Witch. and Vision. Do I think it could be fun? Yeah. Like I said, I, I I do like the approach. I just I didn't love how it looked. It just it didn't it didn't do anything for me in a way that the Netflix Marvel shows like Daredevil and even Punisher and even uh, not Iron Fist but uh, Luke Cage. You know, I I I, would, I thought those looked great like. This just didn't have it. Was there any other Marvel stuff this week? There's some DC stuff. But was that it for Marvel? Pretty much. Well, Miss Marvel got got its directors. Actually, yeah, there was all that, that stuff. That's right. Miss Marvel got its directors, the guys who did Bad Boys for Life. Um, it's going to be, you know, Ka- Ka- I don't know if it's Kamala Khan or Kamala Khan. Um, but she is going to be the first Muslim hero that that Marvel has ever done, and then a uh, She Hulk got cast, and and it got and, and so Tatiana's going to star Tatiana Maslany. That came right on the heels of of the Kat Koro announcement, so I wonder if the Miss Marvel announcement is not far behind. Like I said, I, I heard a couple of names, I just don't know how legitimate any of them are. The 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 Khan character is supposed to transition. Back and forth between film and television, so she's getting a series, but I believe that the character is going to be used in future Marvel movies. So I feel like you need someone who has that movie star. Oh god, never mind. Uh, who has a bit of like a movie star presence, and so so Marvel may need to spend a little bit more than than they are used to. I mean, I don't know. I, I, that, that's a tricky role. You're looking for basically like a, a Pakistani American um, or, or just, you know, straight Pakistani. I'm sure they're doing a, a global search for that right now. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are a couple of actors who come to mind. They're probably the obvious uh, choices. I just don't know. Sometimes Marvel goes for that obvious choice. And sometimes that's the last thing they want. And they're open to, they are open to discoveries, I think. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. As far as Tatiana Maslany and, and She-Hulk, I think that's really good casting. Tatiana Maslany is someone who, maybe not Marvel, but Disney has, has long sort of been interested in. Remember, she almost got the Rogue One gig that went to uh, Felicity Jones. I, I don't know if she was up for, you know, Amelia Clarke or, or whatever in, in Solo, but um, she's a good actress, she impressed me on, on Perry Mason. I didn't watch Orphan Black. So, you know, I don't have a ton of exposure to Tatiana Maslany. She, I thought she was great and in, in stronger. The Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Can totally see her playing Mark Ruffalo's cousin, She-Hulk. Again, I, this is not a series like they could have cast my favorite actress in it. I don't know that I'll necessarily be watching a She-Hulk series. I could definitely see that character going back and forth between the, the, you know, the feature MCU and, and the TV world. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, which actually brings me to my next, uh, my next story, Peacemaker. So James Gunn and John Cena are doing a Peacemaker show for HBO Max, which might, may as well be called the DC streaming service. Right. Um... <laughs> Peacemaker is like this guy who believes in peace at all costs, but is willing to kill to ensure it. James Gunn is going to be writing all eight episodes. And I think it is going to be an ongoing season, even though it's an origin story. So, I mean, I, I guess you could just have unlimited sort of seasons leading up to the, the events of the Suicide Squad. And who knows if John Cena actually survives the Suicide Squad or not. But I, I, I like this. John Cena, obviously a rising movie star. He did, uh, he's got F, uh, F9, Fast 9 coming up. Or what are we calling this movie? Fast and Furious 9, F9, Fast 9. Someone tell me. And, and he's got the Suicide Squad. And I just, like, everybody likes John Cena. It's not just the wrestling stuff. He's got a good personality. He's got good comic timing. And this the series was described as an action-adventure comedy. So yeah, if you had to pick somebody out of that cast to build a show around it, I think Peacemaker is a really good idea. And to and to get James Gunn to actually write it and direct episodes, like that's a that's a coup for HBO Max. But I do think that you know like like DC is doing with this, and and Marvel will be doing with with Miss Marvel. You're going to see people straddling both mediums because they want to ensure the eyeballs on these streaming services, and the best way to do that is to link it to the larger theatrical universes that they've already created. Um, Ryan Gosling starring in a stuntman movie from David Leach and Drew Pierce. Now, Tolley Reporter sort of framed this as a feature adaptation of the 80s series, The Fall Guy, although they don't know if they actually want to link it to that show or just make it like an untitled stuntman action drama. Ryan Gosling has played a stuntman before in Drive, which is... You know, one of one of my favorite Gosling movies, if not my favorite, *Place Beyond the Pines*. Someone had said he was a stunt man. He's not exactly a stunt man. He does do stunts and dangerous stuff, but there's never a camera around. Can you really call yourself a stunt man if there's not a camera around? He's more like a daredevil, a daredevil lunatic uh, on that motorcycle. Um, I like the idea of him working with David Leach, although I'd want to see a different. I want to see what else David Leach has in the toolbox because we know he can shoot action really well, but Atomic, Blonde, Hobbs and Sean, Deadpool 2, none of those are good movies. Hate to break it to you. So I I was a big fan of of John Wick, which he he co-directed with Chad Stahelski, but I think that since David Leach went off on his own, and John Wick, I mean, when we're talking about the story, John Wick, guy loses his dog, he gets killed, the dog gets killed, and then he goes after the guys who did it. There's not, there wasn't a ton of story or mythology in that first John Wick. It came to encompass that mythology. But the first film, it's, just a, it's like a simple pleasure. These movies that, that David Leach has been doing, they're almost like too busy. And so I'd like to see him simplify things a bit. Uh, or short of that, just, just tell me a good story. You know, I don't need to be blown away by the action, you know, to, to kingdom come so that my eyes pop out of my skull. Like, just tell me a good story. And if the action is good, but not great, that's fine. Leech is also, isn't he also on that uh, the division one with, with Gyllenhaal? It's like, what, what is happening with that project? Is that is that movie just a little bit too expensive uh, to get off the ground or something? I, I don't know if Chastain is the right person for that. Um, they're not even making that new movie that she's in with Colin Farrell, Ava, available to screen for press, I don't think. They're just dumping that thing, holding their nose. Uh, speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal, Netflix picked up his remake of The Guilty. Now, some people really love The Guilty. I didn't care for it. It's about a 911 like, call center operator and a girl who's like getting abducted and the entire time is just him sort of talking to her on the phone and, and trying to get people to her, to find her, and, and to her location. I'm sure that the uh, English, the, the English language remake will probably improve on the original, or, or at least, um, I don't know, maybe speed up some, some slow parts. I mean, look, it's a, it's a good template to have, and I think that they can build on it, particularly with Antoine Fuqua. Like, Antoine Fuqua doesn't sign on to film a fucking phone conversation, right? Um, but what I was more impressed with, with all of this, is just the, the, the buying spree that Netflix is on lately. It really does seem lately, like, every other story that the trades write are is about Netflix. So in the past, like, week or two, they picked up The Guilty, Bruise, which is Halle Berry's uh, directorial debut where she's playing like a a UFC fighter, God knows what, an MMA fighter. Uh, Pieces of a Woman for $10 which is the Vanessa Kirby Shia LaBeouf drama that everybody said was really quite good. A a tough watch, no doubt. It's about a couple that loses a child, but uh, it seemed that it was very well done. And then Malcolm and Marie, which is the secret quarantine movie that John David Washington shot with Zendaya. Uh, So that's 30 on The Guilty, 30 on Malcolm Marie, 10 on Pieces of a Woman, and 20 on Bruise for a total of $90 million on four movies. Now, when you go to a festival and you spend $90 million on four movies, you better be getting the best four movies at that festival, right? Like, that's a lot of money to drop on four indies, essentially. However, outside of the the festival, you know, like, take off the festival glasses and just look at it. You got four movies here with actual stars for ninety millions. That's twenty two and a half million per. That seems like a good deal. If you're making a twenty two million dollar movie with Halle with Halle Berry or with Zendaya or with Jake Gyllenhaal, like how much, you know, how much does the average hour of Netflix content cost? Plus, you're probably, you know, buying out backends for Hallie and Jake and, and, and those stars, that kind of stuff. Probably not on Pieces of a Woman, which is definitely the cheapest of uh, the acquisitions. But Netflix, not only is it spending money and spending more money than everybody else, but it's spending stuff. It's spending money on stuff that people, I think, will actually watch, which is more than I can say for a lot of streaming services. where you are just like, who is some of this? What is who is this for? Netflix also uh, spent a, a pretty penny on Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, read the reviews carefully. The reviews seem to be fairly positive. Like, I've definitely read a lot of glowing stuff. I've heard good things from, from the people who've seen Net Collider. I didn't get a link. I guess I'm not important to Netflix anymore. I guess they just don't think i me mean, when it comes to this stuff. Well, let me tell you something, Netflix. Um you're not going to win any awards for this. (laughs) Just reading between the lines of this, of the reviews and and talking to some people who, you know, have have been naysayers, it seems as powerful as it can be during certain moments. It it sounds like it's a bit of an eye roller. And you can't really have that. You can't have people rolling their eyes at this type of movie. It's like people didn't roll their eyes at Manchester by the sea or, or it's it just I'm, I'm not I'm not foreseen I'm seeing a bunch of nominations in its future I'm not seeing many wins for trial of the Chicago 7 it sounds to me like Mark Rylance is the best performance no 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 surprise guy is incredible he's up against uh he's acting alongside Borat but uh, listen, I, I've heard good things about Sasha Baron Cohen. That's that's not to denigrate that performance. And and listen, I may come back next week and, and say I've seen it and it's incredible. It's going to win all the Oscars. But just parsing through the reviews, it just sound it just this is what it seems like to me is that all these awards bloggers and you know columnists and stuff like that, they they're just so starved for good movies and good content that like they they're just going to go apeshit for any good movie that they see whether it's Pieces of a Woman or Ammonite or, you know, Nomadland. And, and I, I think Nomadland is going to be very, very good. I just think, you know, Chloe Zhao the writer was excellent. Like, she's a very, very good filmmaker. Sorkin, um, great writer. And it sounds like this does show that he can do a little bit more, but... Molly's, like Molly's game was a solid like B-plus B for me, and, and I fear that that is where Sorkin will sort of always be as a director, at least. I think that Sorkin writes A scripts that turn into A movies when they have A directors on them. I don't know if Sorkin himself is an A director. Like, it's just think about how... Like, people think it's just so easy to be a writer-director. Like, these are, like, two completely different sides of the brain. So to be great at both things I think is super duper impressive you're you know normally you're better at one than the other and um I think Sorkin's clearly you know a better writer than than he is a director but we'll see we'll see a lot of fun Netflix stuff coming up though uh Sorkin also said that, that David Fincher's Mank is just like incredible even for Fincher I can't wait to see it They've got a uh, 40-year-old version coming up. They've got another Adam Sandler movie. They've got all kinds of goodies. Rebecca, like I- October, November, it's just going to be stacked for Netflix. Hillbilly Elegy, I don't know if that's a November or December title. But, you know, clearly they have a, just no shortage of, of awards contenders. And uh, it sounds like, by, all, by most accounts, trial of the Chicago 7 went over pretty well with the, uh, the Oscarati, the bloggerati. But like I said, until you impress the insider, you got nothing. The Snyder cut. <laughs> oh, the Snyder cut. Planning reshoots with the original cast. They're going to bring bringing back uh, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill. Or or are they? Where are they? Is Henry coming back? Um. <laughs> It's, I didn't mean I didn't see Jason Momoa in that announcement. I didn't see anything like that. As forget Ezra Miller was like not even. I just like how how do you only have to reshoot with those three characters? It seems odd, uh, and I guess that they wanted Ray Fisher to come back for like a week a week long shoot. I don't think that the reshoots themselves are a week. I think they wanted Ray Fisher for a week. I think that these reshoots are are, are a little bit more substantial. What it shows is that, yeah, there wasn't a finished cut sitting on this guy's computer just waiting for of those to release it. You have to make the cut. You have to finish making the cut because it's just an assemblage of scenes. You don't have an actual movie. Ray Fisher, the, the saga continues, right? Like, I mean, it's great that Momoa has has gone to bat for this guy. I think that you have to do that. It's it's the same thing when you're an editor it doesn't really matter what your reporter did so long as they didn't like plagiarize or, or do something like a fireable offense. An editor is there to have the reporters back. And I've had reporters who who have done that. And I've had reporters who uh, our editors have thrown me under the bus. So I think Momoa, the position that he's in, even though, yeah, he has a ton of future business with, with Warner brothers. Like I have no problem with him getting Ray Fisher's back at the same time. Ray Fisher we still don't know what was done. It sounds like you're being a bit of a diva, like you know your your role was reduced. You thought it was going to be, you know, your your big breakout and and it wasn't. And you didn't book another movie since. And based on how you've been behaving lately, you're probably not going to book another movie anytime soon. Yes, you got true detective and I will hand that to you. I will I will grant you that, but yeah, this diva act, man, like it's just it's not going to go well it's one thing when when neil Moritz gets into a, a, a war of words with universal and things get ugly there and then months later you know they hash things out and they're all buddy buddy again right they, they release the uh the press release saying oh it's water under the bridge blah blah blah, blah. i don't know if i see that happening with with ray fisher like I just he just seems very easily replaceable. I mean, the character's got like half a fucking face. Like I just, uh, yeah. uh, He's so I'm surprised that he's getting like the advice that he seems to be getting from his agents so that they haven't like dropped him yet. Like uh, could this affect other clients of theirs? It's it's all just uh, saying, maybe he needs a, a more veteran manager who can help him see the bigger picture. Either way, I think the, the, the whole reshoot story that emerged this week indicated that, yeah, this movie is not just good to go. It's not in a vault somewhere. It actually needs to be made and finished. Um, Run got dated for November. The Sarah Paulson thing, I am looking forward to to that, that thriller uh, where she's, her daughter's in a wheelchair. But does she really need to be in a wheelchair? Ben Stiller and Patricia Arquette getting back together for High Desert. That is a detective series, a bit of a comedic bent to it that's going to be on Apple. They, used, they previously worked together on Escape at Mora Which I still don't know if I ever watched the last episode of that. I, I, was, I was into that show. I don't really know what happened to me on that one. Um, well, yeah, a lot of TV stuff. Supergirl's ending after season six. I never watched a single episode of that show but you know what? It was a good run, Supergirl. You, you had a good run, six seasons for a show like that. You, you can walk off with your head uh, held high. Toby Haynes has come on to direct the Cassian Andor show on Disney Plus. That is the Rogue One Star Wars spinoff starring Diego Luna. This was going to be Tony Gilroy. He was going to direct the first few episodes, but uh, it's just like I said all those months ago, guys. Same thing with Liv Tyler and, and uh, 911, whatever the fuck. These people don't want to go back to work. Okay, they don't want to risk their lives for a few million dollars when they're already millionaires. And I'm not saying that's going to be everybody in the industry. There's a lot of working actors who will take that risk. But yeah, if you have your money, just take the year off. And Tony Gilroy is certainly not taking the year off. Don't get me wrong. He's still going to be the showrunner and executive producer of this cast and Andor series. But he was like, do I really, you know, I got to make a decision quickly. Do I leave New York to go to the UK? It's probably safer in the UK. But, you know, the international flight and everything. Who knows what you catch at the New York airport. What's the upside of this? So let's just hire a guy out of the UK. Toby Haynes, that's where, you know, he's based. He did uh, Black Mary, did the USS Callister episode with Jesse Plemons. That was so good. And he did Utopia, which I believe debuts this weekend, if not tomorrow, Utopia. Like I think I talked about it last week. I thought they did a really solid job, um, you know, with with this Americanized remake, if you will. So hats off to Toby Haynes. Good, uh, good direction. He's a, he's a, he's a good choice for, for Andor, even though again, not a show I'm particularly excited about. Now, I, I may have said the same thing about The Mandalorian, and I've changed my tune on that. The Mandalorian was excellent. But yeah, Cassian Andor. Was I really watching Rogue One being like, I want a show about that guy? Not really. Some minor film castings. Tiffany Haddish joined the unbearable weight of massive talent. That's the meta Nick Cage movie, where Nick Cage is playing Nick Cage. Carrie Mulligan joined Bradley Cooper's Maestro. That's his Leonard Bernstein movie at Netflix. This has been rumored since like almost the minute that project was announced uh, because Bradley and Carrie, I think, had worked on stage together. Um, listen, she's an excellent actress. She was, she's been good since the, the day I saw her. It was my first date with an ex-girlfriend in education at the Variety screening series. I mean, Drive. Uh, she, I loved her in Wildlife, the, the Paul Dano movie. She's great and Promising Young Woman. I, I wish that Promising Young Woman was available on VOD. Because I'd love to watch that with the whole family. And she can very well get an Oscar nomination for that. If they decide to put it out this year. Excuse me. They may wait till next year. Because I, I think that that is a potential sleeper hit. And I think it that, that should be put in theaters. As far as this Maestro movie goes... She's playing a woman who was born in Costa Rica and grew up in Chile. Um, now, this woman did look very Caucasian, if you will. So I'm not going to say Carrie Mulligan doesn't look the part. But, like, when I heard about this casting, I didn't even, like, look into it. Because I was like, well, who in this day and age would cast Carrie Mulligan, who's, like, the just the whitest one of the whitest actresses on earth, it seems like, as this, you know, half... Uh, I guess I guess half Costa Rican uh, woman who, whose you know background was really in Chile. Chile. But anyways, that's what they went with. Again, another movie where I'm just like a Leonard Bernstein movie. Whatever, I guess that there are people who, you know, grew up with Leonard Bernstein and, and are eager to watch that. I'm just not one of them. And that's OK. But yeah, Bradley Cooper, Carrie Mulligan, hell of a pairing. Just not quite the the movie I wanted to see them paired on. Uh, Dark Crystal got canceled. Some people were upset about that. I loved Fraggle Rock as a a kid, but I don't really do puppets or Muppets or anything anymore. So didn't watch uh, Dark Crystal either. The Mandalorian, uh, Giancarlo had said that there's going to be a season three and season four. I mean, it was kind of inevitable that the show is going to continue. You seem to indicate that uh, the show might be shifting its focus to other characters beyond the Mandalorian or that Pedro Pascal would only be doing the voiceover and wouldn't actually be in the suit because he he wanted to take his mask off. Um, Felt like baby Yoda was getting more, you know, media attention or something like what, what is this? What is this thing? I don't know if I buy any of that. I think, they probably told him day one, like, if you want to do this series, just know we're never taking your helmet off. I, I mean, I just, I, maybe Pedro Pascal is a bigger diva than I'm aware of. But I, I, have a, I have a hard time believing that he made those kinds of demands. And that in turn, they're shifting the focus away from him. But stranger things have happened. Uh, Shadow in the Cloud. I didn't see this. This has, like, been a, a midnight movie that is really... Been getting a lot, mostly good buzz. It's definitely gotten some F reviews. I just don't know how much the Max Landis of it all has played into those reviews. Um, And and it's like, you know, I I, I haven't really listened to like The Ringer or Bill Simmons podcast, The Rewatchables. Uh, I've definitely taken a little bit of a break from that. I don't really know what's behind that. But someone was telling me, you know, they've done Rewatchables on Seven and The Usual Suspects lately. and Someone was telling me, Know about these long sort of prefaces about the Kevin Spacey of it all, and it's like I, I understand th- that, but I also think, I mean, I've always been, and this is a, a personal choice. I've always been someone who can separate the art from the artists You know, like if if Rifkin's festival looked like a good movie, I'd try to track down a copy of it, and I, I'd be happy to watch it. It doesn't look particularly good. It looks like Woody just spinning his wheels, doing the same thing he's been doing for the last ten years. So I'm not all that eager to see it. Um, But yeah, you have to be able to separate the art from the artist. And and so, yeah, Max Landis may have written an early draft of this script. It sounds like it was heavily changed by its director, Roseanne Lang. Um, But yeah, hundreds, if not thousands of people work on these movies and you can't just dismiss a movie because, you know, someone who was involved was problematic and, you know, say what you will uh, about Max and, and I'm not a woman and haven't had those kinds of interactions with him. But uh, from what I see on social media, still um, this is a guy who is committed to, you know, learning from his mistakes and, and, you know, in therapy and just rectifying things. So uh, I, I wish him the best of luck on, on that journey. And uh, if Max Landis continues writing scripts and, and, they sound good or they get good reviews like yeah i'm going to check them out so i i do look forward to seeing shadow in the cloud whether his name is on it or not uh it sounds like a blast it sounds like a a, a true midnight movie we got trailers for uh, small acts the, the steve mcqueen anthology that's going to be it's like five different films focusing on uh black characters from like you know living in england but they're you know from the west indies it, it sounds uh, pretty interesting and like i'm not terribly familiar with that community i don't think we've seen a lot of uh movies about that community uh, or, or just that time in, in london's history um or england's history so looking forward to that steve mcqueen is is a excellent filmmaker and attention must be paid he's just one of those guys where it's like okay this guy knows what he's doing. He's talented. You got you got to see the stuff, even if it doesn't 100% appeal to you. I think that there's something there's something very like humanist uh, about about Steve McQueen. Um, obviously, you know, best Twelve Years of Slave won best picture. Uh, Widows is really good. Hunger is really good. But the movie that just really stuck in my uh, chest, and I haven't been able to shake a shame. Shame is the one where it's just like. This guy is an expert, expert uh, filmmaker. Um, Tenet passed 250 Global. I'm not even going to do the Tenet Watch music for something like that. It, again, it's not a terrible take considering the state of the world right now. But when you think that only, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 million dollars of that at, at most is, is from the domestic box office. It obviously was a, a miscalculation on, on WB's part, I think um the emmys the emmys were sunday night what'd you guys think of the show i'm very curious to, to know what you all thought i thought it was fine again given the circumstances it was kind of funny how it, it opened uh with the fake audience and we were, we were all like wait are these people really there there's no way these people are there and then they showed jimmy kimmel himself in the audience and it was like wait this guy can't be in two places at once um, and then the lights come on and, and there's no one in the audience, so to do it remotely, I thought that was pretty interesting how they sent uh, you know, the camera setups to uh, a bunch of different nominees, although really you just needed one big ass setup, which they had for Schitt's Creek, because it swept the awards, I watched an episode or two of this show it wasn't for me just didn't like it yeah I wasn't curious to, to go on but it accomplished something I don't think any other show has ever accomplished. I mean, it won – all four of its cast members won, lead actor, actress, supporting actress, supporting actress. It won writing, directing, and best series. So that is truly incredible. Um, I mean, a, a, and, again, even though I may not be terribly familiar with Dan, Dan Levy or, uh, or Annie Murphy, great to see people like Eugene Levy and, and Catherine O'Hara – recognized for their work. Like, again, I may not be a fan of the show, um, but I, I love those two performers, and they've been doing it for so long, and, and so for them to get <coughs> that kind of massive re- recognition is awesome. We did see a lot of other crazy stuff, though. Uh, so Succession won, Jeremy Strong won. I, I I kind of had a feeling that that was coming. His character, it, it seems to be... Because I don't watch Succession. I watch one episode of Succession, too, and I was like, this show's definitely not for me. And everyone yells at me just like they do about game of thrones and every other hbo show i don't watch i know what i like and, and there's something uh there's freedom in that and i know that i did not want to spend two seasons with that miserable uh roy family so congrats to jeremy strong i think he's been a, a really good actor for a really long time and, and like levy and o'hara it's great to see him recognized um and, and the truth is, as much as I love Ozark and think Jason Bateman is solid on that show, Jason Bateman has certain limitations as an actor, I think. And he just gets outacted by people like Laura Linney and Julia Garner and even, you know, Tom Pelfrey this season. Like, he's just not the performance that I'm drawn to. mainly because, you know, he's like the straight man. Like, he doesn't really get to blow up and explode or have those super emotional m- moments. Cause he has to like stay coiled and can't really show it, too many people what he's really thinking. So, so like as an actor, that, that's a tough challenge. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see Jason Bateman win an, an Emmy for that part, at least great, great director, great writer, producer, like the show, he, he's that show. He's the heart and soul of it. And, uh, <coughs> oh. Well, Julia Garner may be the heart and soul of it, but, you know, he, he keeps it all together. He keeps the trains running on time, and um, I would have loved to have seen Ozark upset succession. I think Ozark is a terrific show. I just didn't see him winning that Best Actor award. Uh, you know, there was always the concern that Jeremy Strong and Brian Cox might split the vote. I just don't know if that's always the way that that, that works. Um, Julia Garner won, Regina King won. But the big one was Zendaya. For euphoria. Now, I'm a big euphoria fan. And people called it an upset. And then people got upset about the fact that people were calling it an upset. Let me tell you. An upset just refers to the odds. So, I understand if you're like, well, how can you call it an upset? I'm not upset. Well, when you look at the odds, <laughs> this was a huge upset. Particularly because, again, is good on the show. But... You know, I, I think that, that Jacob Elordi is, is better. Hunter Schaefer is better. You know, those are just the, the roles that pop. So I did not see that coming at all, but it really goes to show that she is going to be an absolute superstar to be reckoned with. Like, it's not just the Spider-Man movies anymore, or, you know, the the old, you know, kid stuff that she did. Now she... She's now an Emmy winning actress and Netflix has shelled out $30 million for for Malcolm and Marie. So the sky is the limit for Zendaya. She can do anything at this point. She's super talented. And I look forward to seeing the next season of you and seeing how it, how it changes from that first season. Cause they've had a long break, you know, I don't think that show's going to get, go before cameras again until January. Nomadland won the audience award at TIFF this year and people were like discussing it like, well, you know, all these other movies won the audience award and they went on to win best picture. And what could it all mean? Like I can't, people are like irresponsible. The Oscar bloggers that I've been reading seem to be operating in this bubble where this pandemic isn't happening. And they're all gung. They're all like for certain that the Oscars are even happening in April. I'm not, I'm still not. In fact, with all the movies moving in and out, of the off the calendar and stuff, I don't even know how you again. This is what I said on day one. I don't know how you have the Oscars this year. Maybe you can get some Best Picture nominees, some smaller films that have some beautiful performances. What gets nominated for Best Visual Effects? Like how do you like how do you even fill out all the fucking categories? If you're not going to have movies like Black Widow and Top Gun, and st- like what is going to be nominated for Best Visual Effects? Are we talking about the Invisible Man versus Sonic? Is that what we're talking about here? Because if that is what we're talking about, fucking cancel the show. Just delay it. There's no need for there to be an Oscars every year. Okay? And I it just, it to me, it would cheapen it. I get that it would be like, well, these are the movies released in 2020 in the first two months of 2021. And, you know, whatever comes out, that's what's getting honored. Why? Like, if you just... Just honor two years in film. That's all you have to do. It's just extending it 10 more months. Since we're, This is a 14-month 14, 14 uh, you know grouping of movies. Just add another 10 months, do one ceremony that awards two years worth of film. So this is a legitimate contest. I feel like the bloggers are so afraid to talk about this scenario because they're all relying on FYC ads, right? They all want the FYC ads that come with... Oscar season. If there is no Oscar season, then they won't get the ads. If you've been paying attention, by the way, and it's almost October, there haven't been any FYC ads. Now, the whole calendar has sh- shifted. Maybe you'll start to see FYC ads in November, December, January, February, right? Because that's when the prestige movies are going to be coming out. But the fact that we haven't seen anything yet, even for movies that came out in the first nine months of the year, that should be con- that that that's cause for concern. At least if I was an Oscar blogger, depending on FYC ad revenue. I, I just fear that that's why they're sort of overpraising some of these movies. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll see, but you can't just give it to Netflix because if, if they're like, if they're the only movie competing, how do you just give it an entire award show worth of Oscars to Netflix? Uh, and, and, and I think that's honestly why Netflix is, is keeps putting these movies out. Because it's like, well, we released all these awards contenders. You know, these were the rules in place at the time. How can you change it on us? So this may very well be the Netflix Oscars because these studios are just sitting out of the game. Where is a release date for the French Dispatch? Just delay it, kick the can down the road for Christ's sake. Uh, I wrote a thing this weekend about Glenn Kenny's book, uh, made men about good 10, you know, really cool stories that I, I took away from that book. So check that out on collider or buy the book. You can do that too. That's, that's always uh, an option. What did I watch this week? God, there's just so much stuff. We finally got a trailer for sound of metal. Hell yeah. Riz Ahmed. That looks good. Darius Marder, writer-director, he also uh, wrote Place Beyond the Pines as his feature debut. And again, I love the way it plays with sound. I can't wait to watch this on on the big TV downstairs with the sound system. And I think Dad's going to like it. Dad's a drummer. Dad seems to be losing his hearing. So that'll be a fun one for the Snydermen to watch together. But I, I was relieved to finally see that trailer and to, see that, to say that, it, you know, it looks like it lives up to the hype. We got a trailer for Your Honor. I thought that looked great. The Brian Cranston Showtime show where he's a judge whose son is involved in the hit and run. It co-stars Michael Stuhlbarg and uh, Hope Davis. I cannot wait for them to send me those episodes. Um, oh, man. God, there's so much stuff. I totally forgot about all this stuff. Harry Styles. Harry Styles is signing on to My Policeman at Amazon. This is going to be a movie from Michael Grandage and Reg Berlanti is producing. And it is, it's a gay themed love story. Like when I found out about this and it all kind of happened very, very quickly. The story came together quick. Um, I i think this is exactly what Harry needs to be doing. He needs to show that he that he is more than just a pretty face, that he can really act. And, and you know, he was good in Dunkirk, but it also is just a bunch of young Men, you know, running around screaming and, uh, you know, to actually get to be able to play not just a a straight romance, but a gay romance as well. You know, lots of conflicting emotions. Lily James is going to co-star. She's a really, really good actress. So I I can't wait to see who they pair him with, because I think it's going to be a guy who's a little bit older, probably someone in his 30s, because Harry's around twenty-six. Um, And, you know, maybe the 30, 35 year old guy will sort of show him the ropes of of gay culture or whatever it is. I know that the character is a little bit more sophisticated than than Harry's policeman. I don't even know if Harry will be a policeman in this because they they refuse to call it my policeman. So maybe they're changing what his job is. Maybe they're like, no one's going to buy Harry Styles as a policeman or whatever. So let's make him this. I don't think it really matters what, what the guy's job is. But a, a, a bisexual love triangle, triangle for Harry Styles. Didn't, didn't see that coming, but my hat's off to him because it's not the, the easy way out. It would have been easy to play Prince Eric in the, in the Little Mermaid movie. That's not what Harry Styles decided to do. Um, fast Times. I don't know if you guys watched the live read. I, I didn't really watch it, uh, but to me, it did reinforce that Shia LaBeouf shouldn't star in my biopic. Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Minari. This is another movie that I missed at Sundance. I've heard nothing but great things about Minari. It is, I, I think that it is going to be an awards contender. He signed on to direct the live action remake of Your Name, the anime movie that uh, Paramount and Bad Robot are doing. It's a it's a body swap movie, basically. Uh, I think he's a good choice for it. it. It's like, it's a big, it's a bigger movie, but it's not a huge tentpole. Like, and I'm, it is kind of frustrating when these um, you know, indie filmmakers make these beautiful small films, and then they're like, "Well, well fuck you, uh, artful filmmaking! I'm going to do a 200 million dollar Marvel movie or whatever it is." That's not to talk shit about Chloe Zhao because obviously she she followed the writer with um with Nomadland coming out, but uh, you know we've certainly seen a lot of indie filmmakers make that jump to blockbuster. I think this is the perfect kind of like, this is a big movie, but it's not a super huge movie. This is the, this is the sweet spot for, for Lee Isaac Chung. And, uh, and I I wish him the best of luck on that one. John Boyega doing something called the test with Gavin hood. I think Gavin hood's a a better director than he gets credit for. Uh, So, so I think it's like a contained thriller. Hopefully Gavin hood, Get something special out of John Boyega because he's another guy where it's like, okay, a lot of Star Wars stuff and Pacific Rim. Like, show me this guy acting again. That's why I'm looking forward to the, the Red, White, and Blue Steve McQueen movie that's part of Small Axe. I watched two episodes of Murders at White House Farm, which is on HBO Max in its entirety today. If you like, if you're a fan of you know true crime shows and stuff like that, or just British procedurals, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to finish it. I watched the opening act. I think that's under embargo. Uh, that's the Jimmy O. Yang. Vince, Va- like Vince Vaughn produced it. It's about stand-up comedy. Check out the trailer on Collider. Just a sweet movie. A sweet movie. Raised by Wolves got renewed. I like what I saw from Raised by Wolves. I just haven't been in a hurry to finish it. I don't know, like, are, are people watching the show? Or is it just like, well, we only have so many original shows, so we might as well just renew this one. I, I just haven't heard a lot of talk about it in the Twitter sphere, which I still monitor from time to time. Um, and last night I watched HBO's new documentary, Wildcard, The Downfall of a Radio Loudmouth. Uh, and I'll, I'll say it was, it was good. Like, I, I could relate to it um, as someone who, who likes to gamble and, or, you know, has issues of, of his own. Um, so yeah you know if if you are I, I, I never listened to like the Boomer and in, in Carton show I didn't really know who Craig Carton was but if you're interested in sports sports gambling radio uh, you know and addiction those kinds of stories I thought it was a pretty effective documentary but uh, if you are just if you're looking for something really just nice and, and fun to watch check out Ted Lasso on Apple that really is the show that we need right now it's just It's nice. It's optimistic. It's, it's, it's just a breath of fresh air, a real pleasant surprise. And I, and I stopped watching after five episodes. uh, But I I just dove into the, the, the back half of the show. Oh, look who's calling a famous screenwriter. I'll call her back later. A few minutes. And then if you don't, if you're looking for like genre stuff, be sure take my word for it. Take James Gunn's word for it. Check out Alone from John Hyams. It's on VOD now. Jules Wilcox uh, stars alongside Mark Menchaca. It's a very simple setup. It's, it's a guy and, and a girl in the woods, and he's chasing her. And you know, it, it, it. You've know, you seen that movie a bunch of times, there's no question, but I thought this was very, very well done. John Hyams did a great job with it, and keep an eye on him. The same way that like Blumhouse gave Rob Savage a three-picture deal, someone's going to give this guy John Hyams a deal, or he's going to hop into bed with Blumhouse or James Wan or somebody because... This movie alone was one of the better genre films I've seen in probably the last year or two. Uh, That'll probably do it for all the news and stuff like that. We can do some, some mailbag questions before I wrap up um michael miranda asks what can i say about this lulu wong issue about ron howard directing chinese penis Lang Lang based on his own memoir my take on this is lulu wong is straight up wrong because the movie isn't historical drama it's the story of a man's life a, a man who wrote the story a man who chose the director to tell his life story i understand what what lulu wong uh was saying for sure um but here's like i just don't think you can tell people who can and can't tell what story and it, it goes back to what I was saying last week about the April rain stuff where, you know, she was arguing that we need to be asking the, the questions that drive storytelling are whose story are we telling and who's telling the story. And that's just, isn't how I think of stories. When you say, I have a great story for you, Jeff, I don't ask those questions. I just say, well, what's the story? So, you know, I was looking on Facebook and, and a prominent indie producer of a, uh, who, who is Asian her, uh, herself um, you know, she, she asked, like, does Lulu Wang's assertion that Ron Howard shouldn't be directing a biopic of a Chinese penis? Does that mean Asian filmmakers can't make movies about white people? You know, and, and it just led to a whole comments thread, you know, like, can it can LGBTQ people, they, can, can they not play straight people? Because now straight people can't play LGBTQ people, you know, like, people were saying, well, by that logic, Ang Lee can't direct Brokeback Mountain or Sense and Sensibility. I get why it is tricky territory. In an ideal world, sure, yeah, a Chinese person would, would direct this Lang Lang uh, movie. However, we can't just have Chinese people, like, I don't want to keep a Chinese person in that box. If they want to tell other stories, right, then they should be allowed to tell those other stories. But it also means that they shouldn't have to, Lang Lang shouldn't have to wait around for a Chinese filmmaker to want to tell his story. It's the same thing when I wrote uh, a treatment or, you know, I pitched this Cookie Johnson project. And pe- some people would say, well, Jeff, you're not a black woman, so it's not really your story to tell. I'm like, okay, well, show me the black woman who's telling the story and I'll back off. No one, no one is, okay? And so if a black woman isn't going to tell Cookie Johnson's story and a Chinese filmmaker isn't uh, trying to tell Lang Lang's story, then other, then it's open. and And Ron Howard can absolutely do what he, do what he wants with it. And maybe, you know, Ron Howard needs to bring in, uh, you know, a, a Chinese co-writer or, or producer, whatever it is, is someone so that, to help him get the nuance of, of Chinese culture, whatever, you know, whatever, um, Lulu Wang's issues with it were. And she wasn't saying it should be me. She's got enough stuff on her plate. Um, but uh, I, I do agree with you, Michael, that, um, well, I think Lulu's head was in the right space. I think, that, I think that she's wrong. And I just don't think that art should be limited to, you need to be from this culture or you know, whatever it is to tell this story. I It may lead to a better movie, sure. But it doesn't mean, you know, the Lulu Wang, the, sorry, the, the Lang Lang movie may be better from a Chinese director, but it doesn't mean that a white director shouldn't be allowed to tell it. Keltrick Pickens asks, my, uh, hey, Jeff, big fan of the show. Two questions with Halli- Halloween Candyman and my beloved Scream all making a comeback. Where in God's Green Earth are the new Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street movies? I think Warner Brothers owns both properties. Why are they sitting on tons of money? It's a great question. Um, I don't really know other than to say you can't just keep pumping out those movies. You got to kind of cycle through. And so – You know, New Line is still doing Conjuring stuff, right? Conjuring 3 is on the way. Who knows if there's other Annabelle movies or The Nun. Like, those movies are still doing well. So you don't really need to do Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th when audiences get sick of The Conjuring or The Nun or Annabelle. That is when they'll go back to do those things, I think. It's like, you don't mess with a good thing, but once that good thing feels like it's run out of air, then you go back to the vault. Um, and maybe they're just waiting for the right take too. You know, that, that, that could be a big part of it. Um, but, but, but you're right. Those, those are big horror IPs, um, but they didn't go well the last time that they tried to reboot them. So I, again, I think that you're just waiting for something special. My other question is how long can the movie studios honestly sit on big movies? This pandemic isn't going anywhere. Why can't they put these movies up on iTunes, Vudu, Fandango now for $30? Wouldn't that make uh, more sense at least for now? Again, I was impressed with how Mulan did. But that's on a streaming service that like caters to like a very specific audience. I just don't know. I don't think that you could just put, I don't think, I don't think that there's enough money in VOD and all these services where even if like, you know, the best case scenario happened, I don't think it would, it would make up for the costs. Um. And thirty dollars is still steep for a lot of people. A lot of people balk at bonk at that, even though it is a, a deal when you have when you have multiple people watching with you. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just don't see it happening. Not to mention piracy would be a real concern anytime you're putting anything on VOD. Kelzerg also asked, did I see Ben Affleck's comments about post about a post COVID movie going, saying people. Oh, uh, about post-COVID movie going, uh, saying people have become accustomed to watching movies at home. Movies like The Town and Argo today would go straight to VOD or a streaming service. Big blockbusters will be what you see at the movies. Maybe, but I mean, that was the thinking for the last few years is that all the mid-budget movies would get squeezed out and all that we would have the studios making are big blockbusters. Now, it may not even make sense to make big blockbusters. It's harder to make them. There's more people required on set. Um, it's just, there, there are greater unknowns in, in the actual marketplace. And so maybe studios will cut back on the spending and they'll say, rather than making these big tentpoles, we are going to be making these 30, 60, $80 million movies where we can put them on streaming services and we can recoup because the budgets are lower. Uh, and then lastly, Tom, or I uh, got a couple more. Thomas Drufke, lo- love the podcast. There's been any talk of doing another Oceans movie. I had a good time with Oceans 8. and made enough movie to warrant sequel discussions. I don't, again, look at Bridesmaids. Look at The Heat. I don't know what it is about these successful female-driven movies, but they're very rarely sequels. And I don't think you're going to get a sequel to Oceans 8. I don't know how it did financially versus the others or versus its budget and whether it's enough to justify a sequel. I just think Oceans 8 was bad. It was not a good movie. It's not a movie that people talk about particularly fondly. And I'm sure it has some fans, just like the Ghostbusters movie has some fans. But in general, uh, not well executed at all. And I don't think you'll see another Ocean's 8. As far as the guys coming back, I feel like that ship has sailed. But I do think like, uh, you know, I forget who did the interview. Maybe it was Eddie Murphy. But um, yeah, I, I think they should go back to that tower heist idea. And just do and like a Black Ocean's Eleven. What is the black version of this? It, I'll tell you what it is. It's it's Idris Elba, uh, with as Danny Ocean, and it's Sterling K. Brown and John Boyega, and uh, you know Daniel Kaluuya, Michael B. Jordan, like as the Brad. You know Michael B. Jordan would be Brad Pitt, and uh, Kaluuya would be friggin' Matt Damon, like. It's a no-brainer to me, but you got to get all these guys to work together. And most importantly, you need the script. You need a good heist. Like there's something special about that Ocean's Eleven movies that even the sequels were not able to uh, repeat. Lastly, Derek Walker asked, The Dark Crystal was canceled by Netflix. Do you think it would be a good idea for another streaming service like Amazon or Apple to pick it up? No, they should just develop their own IP it didn't get picked up because not enough people were watching it and that's Netflix. So you got fewer eyeballs on the other, these other services, something doesn't work on Netflix. It's not going to work on another streaming service. Uh, I also, uh, Derek asks, you previously mentioned that you cry a lot during movies. Are these movies you watch at home or does this also include press releases? What was the last movie that made you unexpectedly ball your eyes at? Um, I cry whether it's at home or in a theater that, that doesn't matter to me uh, as far as movies I cried at, I mean, I definitely cried during crip camp and, um, and probably during a- athlete a, at some point, I may have even shed a tear during wild card. You know, some of it's just that I can relate to, uh, some people in these documentaries in, in ways that, you know, I, I don't care to share and nor do, um, nor do I think, you know, you guys will ever be able to really understand, but, uh, yeah, I, I am a big softy. I, I played the hard ass on this podcast, and and maybe on Twitter, and people think I'm a huge asshole. But believe me, I have a, a lot of empathy. And uh, yeah, my, my heart really goes out to right now, today. It, it, it goes out to Brianna Taylor's family because she just did not get justice yesterday. That that ruling was embarrassing in Kentucky, and and. To indict a guy for shooting up a neighbor's walls, it almost added—it almost added insult to injury. It would almost have been better if nothing had happened to the guy at all, because to say that yeah, that property is more important than a black woman's life, just ridiculous. So, that's where my empathy lies today. Um, you know, maybe your empathy lies elsewhere, or maybe it's with Michael Hogan, who I talked about earlier in the show. But uh, remember to keep in touch with that part of yourselves, guys. Anyways, that'll do it for this week's Snyder Cut. Check out uh, the Schmodown. I had a round two match against Paul Oyama. Check out my father of the bride scoop. We just dropped that on Collider earlier today. I don't even think I had that on the the list of things to talk about. They're doing an all Latinx reboot of Latin uh, of of Father of the Bride with Matt Lopez writing. He wrote bedtime stories, Race at uh, at Witch Mountain, and... um, Sorcerer's Apprentice so it, it, I like the direction that, that's a good take I think for a Father of the Bride reboot and of course there's a big reunion today on Netflix that's you know with Steve Martin and everybody but uh yeah that'll do it follow me on Instagram at the end buy a cameo I'm, I'm fun I promise and cheap only only 15 bucks for you guys thanks for listening thanks for watching I'll see you next week This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday Sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday Sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details else.